Welcome to Everything You Need Is Within, a Spotify Greenroom live audio show and podcast produced by and for Gen Z. With me, your host, Gigi Robinson. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Everything You Need Is Within. I'm so excited to have this amazing woman on the stage tonight speaking with me. Her name is Camille. She lives with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which as many of you know, is a chronic illness and a genetic disorder that really affects people in a very dynamic way. And Camille was also uh, Miss America 2020, which is so incredible. And it just goes to show that anybody with any condition can really do anything and achieve anything they set their mind to. So without further ado, Camille, welcome. Thank you so much, Gigi, for having me on. This has been uh, such a long time coming. We finally got this together on my schedule. You know, being a student and having EDS and you know it better (laughs) than anybody. It's been a Crazy, but thank you for letting me come on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And part of the reason why I wanted to reach out to you is because I found you through a friend of mine um, who actually I see Cozy down in the audience. She told me about this amazing writer um, and journalist and producer Allison Norland. And I saw the documentary you were in, and I was like, holy cow, I know, like, this girl, like, this girl has the same thing that I have, and like, our journeys seems somewhat parallel. And I was just like, I really need to connect with her. I need to talk with her. Then things got even weirder when I kept looking into things. And I saw that you're not only going to school um, to study, you're studying rare diseases, right? Or uh, like genetic disorders, something like that? No, I'm a pharmacy student. So I'm actually just learning how to be a pharmacist. I love it. I'm focusing really on Just being a medication expert is basically what I'm learning how to do. Well, that is, I think it's so cool and very highly ambitious. But on that note, I saw that you're friends with my friend Izzy and another Instagram friend, Court. Um, So I thought it was just so cool that our paths collided um, and everything was so similar. So tell everybody just a little bit about who the heck Camille is. Tell everyone where you're going to school, um, what kind of, you know, your path is like, and we'll take it from there. Okay, gosh. Um, I have a lot <laughs> that I do in my life. Um, but I would say more than anything, I'm, I'm a big science nerd. <laughs> um, I've always loved everything that had to do with science and medicine and the body. Um, I loved biology and chemistry um, particularly animals. That was something that as a kid, I was always really passionate about and still am. Um, plants, I mean, like any living things, which is literally what biology is. Um, and that also means us as humans and the way that we interact with the world and get sick and feel better, all those different things. So um, I went through a lot of different ideas of what I wanted to be when I grew up, even as I was you know, in college trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And so eventually I decided to major in biochemistry and systems biology. I interned with a pharmaceutical company. I said, okay, I think I want to work in the pharmaceutical industry and do that as a pharmacist. So I went to pharmacy school um, and through the process of pharmacy school (laughs) uh, in a very weird turn of events was like, let me compete for Miss Virginia. That sounds like a great idea. Um, and I won Miss Virginia and Miss America, which is really cool. But through all of that, I, of course, have um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And so I've known that since I was very young. And so it's been part of my story. But I think that it hasn't limited me. It's just been part of who I am. Yeah, that is so interesting. I also actually got diagnosed very young. And I feel like it's kind of rare. Um, can you tell us if you're comfortable, you know, a little bit about how you got your diagnosis yeah. and how like you kind of felt that something was wrong or your parents saw that something was wrong? Yeah. Um, and it is kind of, it's funny because I don't think EDS is rare, but getting diagnosed early. Yeah, is exactly. Rare. So if that's yes. what you're saying is rare, you're totally on track with that. Um, I am really lucky that I got diagnosed early. I found out in a very weird kind of like serendipitous turn of events because I was 
in middle school and they were doing like a scoliosis screening. Like we all had to go into the nurse's office and she checked us all for scoliosis and she was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you have scoliosis. So I'm going to like notify your parents and that's all fine and good. And my parents weren't surprised because I have a bunch of cousins with scoliosis and a lot of my female cousins, I actually, well, it's not really even gender dependent because like all my cousins on that side are female anyway, but they all have scoliosis and a lot of them have really advanced scoliosis to the point where they have Harrington rods in their back. So my, my parents weren't really mm. super surprised. And I think when we think about the genetic potential genetic connection, uh, that was a, a good warning sign. Um, I had to then go to an orthopedic surgeon as a, you know, 11 year old to see how this disease was going to progress. And I mean, scoliosis. And I got in there and he examined me a really, really keen orthopedic surgeon, like pediatric doctor Mm -hmm. um, in Philadelphia. And he immediately was like, there's something else happening here (laughs) and looked at me and like looked at my parents and like asked my parents questions about their health to get their history and was like, I think you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I'm going to send you to a geneticist. And within like a couple months, I had a diagnosis from a geneticist. So mm-hmm. it was never questions for me because I was just like, okay, I have scoliosis like all of my cousins. But the interesting thing is my mom also didn't know that she had it. So oh, wow. she found out with me. So she was, of course, in her 40s at that point, had a lifetime of confusion and questions and being told she was lying and saying that she was exaggerating and all these misdiagnoses for years and years. And so she found out alongside of me when I just happened to get diagnosed very early. So it was a interesting generational divide with that. And I think that the difference in diagnosis actually has really impacted our outcomes as two different EDS patients in the way that we're able to make our way through this world with a diagnosis. So that has been really interesting. Wow. I love that. I, um, I think it's also kind of poetic in some ways how, you know, you and your mother got diagnosed. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. I don't wish this condition upon anybody by any means, but I think the way that what you just said about viewing life differently and kind of approaching things differently, um, since you had your diagnosis and since you, you can do it together. Um, I just think that's super beautiful. I have a mom in healthcare as well. She's a nurse and, um, you know, she's in a lot of ways gone through this with me. And, uh, coincidentally my family, like scoliosis runs in my family as well. Um, and I suspect that my cousins may have EDS as well uh, and scoliosis, but I don't want to out them on here. So I'm not going to, Um, but I just, I I really think that's, that's so beautiful. What's something that you've like learned? Um, I know you mentioned you have just like approached life in a very, uh, I I don't know what your, I don't know what your approach to life is, but like, what have you really learned that's helped you through this diagnosis and through dealing with it? I think that, you know, for me, it hasn't affected me in such a severe way throughout my life, which has been uh, equally difficult and interesting because it still does affect me. And so I, I do this thing where I, um, I like to say that I'm like, oh, it doesn't really bother me. Like I don't have symptoms of it, but I do all the time. And I think I downplay Mm -hmm. it because I'm so used to it. And because I don't, because I'm not in a wheelchair (laughs) and because I don't have major surgeries and I don't have dislocations all the time. I'm like, I don't really have that. I don't really have it that bad. Right. Does it absolutely affect me all the time? Yes. So I think I do a couple things. I do this thing where I constantly make myself feel like I don't have, you know, I'm really lucky that I don't have the problems that other people do, which is great. But then I also kind of disqualify what I struggle with as an EDS patient. Yeah. Yeah. But in general, I think that having EDS has taught me to be more comfortable with the unknown because having EDS, you don't really ever know what the next day will bring. You could feel great. You could feel horrible. It really might not be associated with anything else in your life. There could be triggers, but there might not be. And so I'm always, I don't want to say in like a protective mode of like, oh my gosh, like I feel good right now. So let me get all the things done that I need to. So that if I feel really gross tomorrow, 
that I'm not backed up and stressed because then I don't feel like I have the capacity to be able to do something. So maybe it's made me a little bit more proactive. Um, it's definitely made me more understanding of other people that might have issues that are going on behind the scenes that I'm not aware of visually in a lot of different contexts of life. Um, but it's definitely been a pain to manage in my life. And it's honestly, it was really bad when I was a kid because I had a lot of, you know, kind of physical problems. But as I've gotten older, it went away. And then now it's been getting worse again. So I don't know if I'm hitting that age where it's starting to bother me a little bit more than it did as I was a more young adult. And now I'm like an adult adult. And then my body's just like, it's time to shut down now. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really interesting. And I mean, you also have this science background, like you said, that you can kind of understand how medications may um, affect or or not affect you. Or um, also something you said is that your condition has been very dynamic. It's been very um, like, you know, not hit or miss, but it can change at any time. It can really, like you said, be something different uh, from day to day. And I definitely experienced that as well. Um, I think that's a natural part of EDS. And um, I also think it's, it's, you know, it, it is different. Everybody's story really is different in dealing with a condition and dealing with their identity and their relationship to their chronic illness. And I also think it's, it's something that yeah. it just is intrinsically a part of us. It's not something that we're really ashamed of. And I think that's kind of beautiful, especially because some people can be so um, scared to kind of out themselves when it comes to talking about medical conditions or something that is invisible that's happening behind the scenes. Yeah. And it definitely can be something that is really scary, especially when you're approaching a group of people who may have either never heard of something before, or they might start to isolate you or ostracize you for, you know, being other than or being different than Um, even if you don't, you don't look it or um, even if you ask for help, they just kind of might shrug their shoulders and brush it off. Um, Have you ever dealt with any kind of negative feedback when it comes to talking about your illness? I don't think that I have. Um, I don't have any like immediate reaction of like, oh my gosh, I remember when that happened. Right. I think the only situations where I've really kind of felt like I wasn't heard are is in the situation with some practitioners that mm. only have a very limited view of EDS. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned this, like we all have our own journey. And I think part of what that is to me is that, you know, this is a spectrum disorder. So mm-hmm. there's such a different level of severity And even those with like the exact same subtype might have a very vast difference in severity of the disease. And in the very traditional, you know, scheme of the way that practitioners look at EDS, depending upon how old they are and what their training is, is that like someone like me absolutely doesn't have EDS because I don't have those really marked physical limitations that someone in their mind would have with EDS. So I get a lot of questions by certain doctors who are, you know, curious of like, what makes you think that you have this or kind of downplay when I bring up certain uh, kind of comorbidities with EDS, like mm-hmm. POTS or mast cell activation syndrome and, yeah. you know, ask those types of questions of, hey, you think I'm exhibiting these symptoms? Can we talk about this? And people are like, some practitioners are like, come on, like, you don't have that. Like, no right. one really gets those things. And so then I feel like I kind of have to advocate for myself. I would say that in groups of people that don't know what it is, those are the ones that tend to be the most receptive for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one of the things that for me, I think is kind of cool from an educational perspective um, to be able to be that advocate for the disorder, because those are the people that we need to know about. They need to know about EDS because it really isn't quite as rare as what people thought it mm-hmm. was and the more data that we get the more that we know that more people have EDS than what we ever imagined right um and yeah so if we can help diagnose other people then that's what I'm here for absolutely I I so agree and obviously to anybody listening you know we do have an expert in the field we have a science gal here um but please if you are experiencing any of these symptoms make sure you consult your doctors um and also on that note I would say 
look into genetic specialists in your area and look into, I don't know if rheumatology helped you and orthopedics helped you, but both of those were um, kind of the driving factors that sent me on my way to the geneticist to get my diagnosis. So um, if anybody is potentially struggling or listening and you need some extra support of like, I might have EDS, where do I go? That's what I would recommend. Are you like on the same page? Absolutely. And I think any the best resource for someone with EDS, in my opinion, is to find a practitioner that understands you and can listen Mm -hmm. to you and can understand the condition of EDS. So if that person isn't necessarily a primary care doctor, if that person isn't necessarily an orthopedic physician, um, it doesn't matter what their specialty is. If they're going to be your EDS advocate, then have them be that person. Sometimes it's a rheumatologist. Sometimes it's um, mm-hmm. an orthopedist. It, it depends on who that person is for you. And then that person can then have connections to other um, kind of like other healthcare providers that they, they can feel are understanding of the disease because there's a lot of people that think they understand it and don't. <laughs> and so can't yeah. really, can't really understand it in the way that we need to. Yeah, absolutely. I think understanding is like what we're really getting at here and really focusing on how can we be better advocates for ourselves as patients? And if we're not strong enough, how can we find the right doctor and the right match? And let me just say, and I'm sure you can echo this, if a doctor questions you or is telling you no, just keep pushing and keep doing what you need to do to get to where you need to go. I also, um, I had major flare ups in my teenage years. Um, and that's when my EDS was at one point, what I thought was the worst. (laughs) Um, and then I went through high school relatively fine. I would wear braces and, um, you know, physical therapy and regular like psychotherapy uh, during the weeks at school. And then college came around and I thought it was fine. And then all of a sudden I like hit a wall. I was in the worst shape I, I ever have been in regards to my EDS. And I think just advocating for myself and pushing and pushing and yeah. pushing for treatment that for for me, I guess, like helped me was like really important. And part of that came from talking to my doctor and just being like, look, I am not liking the treatment I'm doing, which I did want to go like the natural path route for a while. That didn't really work for me after a while. And I just kind of, I think, succumbed to the idea that I might need to be on pain medication to help me manage this. So, uh, Again, with EDS, it's so dynamic. Everybody's situation looks different. I know people taking all kinds of different things for this and also living with all kinds of other comorbidities and conditions like Lyme disease and mast cell and POTS on top of it. So, you know, it's definitely a very interesting conversation to be had. Um, On that note, I wonder if, okay, first of all, wait. We're 20 minutes in. Let's let's take a little water break here. <laughs> so normally here, I just tell everyone in the audience, Absolutely. if you've got some water, you've got a drink, or you've got some snacks, now's your time. Drink some water. Hydrate with us. <laughs> Absolutely. Water after talking for a while is honestly chef's kiss. <laughs> um, okay, so... Let's get back into this. Um, I know, tell us like where you're studying. Um, I know you mentioned you're, you're studying how to be a pharmacist right now. Um, tell us like what your real passion is there. And on top of that, tell us some of the challenges you've had. Because uh, going to college with a chronic illness or to school in general, whether it's high school, middle school, college, grad school, master's, PhD, whatever you name it, it is hard. Oh, yeah. That's an understatement. <laughs> um, I So I go to school at a medical center. So I am in a professional doctorate program. Um, Not to be confused with a PhD, which would be more of like a research doctorate. Um, I am in a program that would be just like if you went to physical therapy school or went to dental school or went to medical school. Um, I am in a pharmacy program, which is basically like medical school without the diagnosis part. (laughs) Uh, Maybe with the diagnosis part for some of what we do, but we're treatment experts as medication um, 
really medication experts and treatment experts on pharmacotherapy. Um, and that's really the thing that distinguishes pharmacists from a lot of the other healthcare practitioners. Um, practitioners. And so it's been really interesting learning experience for me to kind of understand what a pharmacist does, because I had an idea what a pharmacist did before I went into pharmacy school. And I think the more that I am in the program, the more I understand how much pharmacists really know and how underutilized they are as resources for patients and for really the healthcare community. So that's been really cool for mm -hmm. me to understand. I went into the profession because I love medicine, but don't like blood, <laughs> to put it frankly. Um, I love that we have like actual medicines that can make people feel better and save people's lives and improve people's quality of life. There's so many amazing things that we can do with medicine. And honestly, a lot of it comes down to the actual, when I say medicine, I mean drugs. And I, when I say drugs, I don't mean illicit drugs. So mm -hmm. what the substances that we can give people, it's just kind of incredible. Like, even if you think of like 200 years ago that people used to die of like a, a tooth infection and now it's like, Oh, go take some amoxicillin and go home. Right. Right. Things no, that are it's just so fascinating. Yeah. So wow. I could go on and on about that. So the moral of the story is I really wanted to learn about the science of how these substances can change our body and, and make our lives better. Um, but in the same way, it's been interesting to understand how they can be dangerous at the same time. So outside of just being in pharmacy school, I've learned, I've really um, gotten a passion in my life. And it's been something that I've spent a lot of time on to advocate for medication safety and abuse prevention. So I talk a lot on the side through Miss America, particularly um, about substance use disorders and how those, how those form how those affect people in their lives, how we can prevent that from happening. And I think you mentioned like talking about medical conditions can be really um, uncomfortable for people. And especially with things that are so stigmatized, like mental health and like substance use disorders, people are really ashamed to talk about them. And for me to be able to kind of like have a candid conversation as like a science-based person, but also understanding what these particular products that we put out into the world can do to people sometimes or lead them to, or even what illicit drugs can do for people. Um, it's definitely been a really cool and humbling experience for me. So that's been um, something I'm really passionate about, but in the long term, I'd like to work in a pharmaceutical company actually, and kind of combine business and communications with my love of science and, and kind of find some way to, to meld that all together. Because if I worked in a research lab for the rest of my life, I'd probably be too bored. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. That, that's so cool. And I also think like advocating for these things and for patients who may be too scared or not know even where to look or where to start with finding a treatment or learning about a medication or something like that is, is so amazing. Um, so what's like a challenge that you've met? I know you said recently you've been having some difficult times uh, with your health and if it's, you don't need to answer any of this at all. I don't, it's yeah. not a pressuring environment here. So if you don't want to answer, no worries. Um, but just tell us like what your experience in school has been um, in undergrad and the program you're in right now. Yeah. So, I mean, Undergrad, actually, other than the fact that I went to the wrong university for the first oh my gosh, year, what? Uh, that was hard. I just, I went to, well, okay, let me be more specific. I went to the university that I applied to and was accepted to, but it was not the right one not for me. Right so it's not like I showed up at the okay, wrong university. Okay. That would be even, yeah, that, the way I put that, I can see where that would have been oh unclear. Gosh. But I, I went to a school originally that I just didn't really love. And so I transferred. Mm -hmm. But after my transfer, I would say undergrad went pretty smoothly for me. I didn't have a lot of real difficulties in terms of EDS, especially um, just a lot of hard work and kind of kicked my butt. And then I got into pharmacy school and that was great. Right. But now, and I'm happy to go into what's happening right now. I have been out of school for two years to be Miss Virginia and Miss America, mm -hmm. which has been quite a transition to come back. Um, the lifestyle is just completely different. The jobs of Miss Virginia and Miss America are incredibly demanding and incredibly difficult, um, but not the same kind of difficult as being a student. And 
to be like really, really detailed here, like my university, just where I go to school, there's a lot of walking I have to do during the day, mm-hmm. like up hills, like to, to class, like from my parking garage, like there's lots of little things that like when I, like I wear an Apple watch every day and as Miss America, I would like have to be like, oh my gosh, I have to close these rings because I haven't been doing enough today. Like in terms of getting up and walking around. Right. And like my first week of school, I like exceeded all of my rings every single day. And I was like, oh wow, I'm a lot more active here than I ever thought I was because Mm -hmm. I just never really paid attention to it. Right. Well, after the transition of coming back and kind of getting off of my, like, I've been kind of working from home for like the last two years with COVID, especially Yeah. that I'm like going back to class was exciting, but also like, I didn't really think about the impact on my body. So go back to class. We're all wearing masks because we're still under our university chose to mask us this year, which was okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I forget to drink water first of all, mm-hmm. because I have my mask on and it's a little bit, it's like another step. I mean, okay, I'm lazy. And the first week I experienced a dysautonomia attack that I've never experienced Mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. And it had happened once prior that month. So August, the beginning of August, I did a Miss America event at a military base in Kentucky. And it really wasn't like that hot. It wasn't like anything crazy. I wasn't doing a lot of activity. And I went through this really, really bad attack of like dizziness and my ears were ringing and I just felt like I was going to collapse and my, I was like really pale, like all of the symptoms of like my blood pressure was probably really low. I like ate salt packets at the restaurant. Cause I was like, I need to just make it through this week. So I'm like, okay, I made it through, go back to school and it happens again. Now it was kind of a little bit more provoked, but the point is in one month, I had two of these really horrible attacks. I had had a stiff neck, like the entire month that wouldn't go away. I had pain in my abdomen because I'm pretty sure that I was so dehydrated that my kidneys were like throbbing. Um, I was in really bad shape and I was exhausted. My body was exhausted. My mind was exhausted. I walk right into school for the first week and we have two to four hours of work of just for cardiology every single day. And it's known to be like the hardest class that we take our first year or our second, sorry, our second year of pharmacy school. So I'm like, okay, I've made it through one week. I felt like I was going to collapse at multiple points. I'm, I'm severely dehydrated to the point where I thought I was going to have to go to the ER. And if this is week one, how in the world am I going to be able to make it through the next three years? <laughs> right. So the interesting part about me and my EDS journey is I talked about, you know, getting diagnosed early. Um, after I was followed by that pediatric doctor, I never was followed for EDS again because my symptoms were never that bad. Oh, And so I have no adult or I didn't have any adult doctor that could give me advice, treatment, management of my EDS symptoms. And I was like, well, if there isn't a good time to do it, there's a good, it's a good time to do it right now. So I um, kind of found someone here in Richmond, Virginia, where I'm based Um, through a friend who works in the medical office where this primary care doctor specializes in EDS. And I got into her office and had some great conversation with her to figure out kind of, you know, what triggered this? Why did this happen now? Um, Why is it happening more often? And what can I do about it to alleviate these symptoms moving forward? Because the thing with EDS is, there's a certain level of unknown, which I talked about, but there Mm -hmm. are things that we can do to maybe prevent some of those, you know, difficult situations from coming about. We can't always prevent them, but like in terms of like chronic dehydration and things like that, there's plenty of things I could do that I wasn't doing. So like electrolyte tablets and electrolyte supplements, I have never taken those in my life. I've never used them. Um, And my doctor was like, Hey, you should probably use these like electrolyte supplements. They would really help you keep your hydration level up. I use them every day now and they really help me. And Mm. I'm taking a few new supplements that I feel like are helping me. I'm doing physical therapy and a physical therapy for my neck, which my doctor thinks could have been contributing to a lot of my symptoms systematically. That seems to be helping. So it's kind of like what I talked about in the beginning 
not having a lot of symptoms, I oftentimes blow off the connection to EDS and I'm like, whatever, it's fine. I don't really need to go see a doctor for this. I don't need to go see a doctor for this. It's just dehydration or it's just this, or it's just that. And I wish that I had sought out someone to help me manage my symptoms Mm -hmm. earlier, because I think that there's a lot of really good like lifestyle changes. And it's funny because I'm a pharmacy student, right? So you would think I'd be like, (laughs) give me the drugs. But I, one of the things with pharmacists is like, if there are lifestyle changes that you can make that prevent you from needing medicines, Mm -hmm. that is what you should absolutely do first. And so I, that's what I want to do. And I'm like, I'm kind of, you know, blind to the knowledge of like, what can I do to improve my symptoms or prevent them from happening? And so I'm taking some new supplements, drinking more water with electrolytes in it. Um, If anyone has ever tried liquid IV, Mm-hmm. I've heard it's like a really big thing in the EDS world and I yeah. am now taking it. Um, it really helps me. So wow, that's been interesting. And the other difficulty for me as a student is I experience a lot of brain fog and cognitive problems mm-hmm. with my EDS. I think more so than the physical symptoms or at least more commonly for me. Um, and that's been difficult with trying to transition back into an academic place. Um, was also kind of hard with Miss America because if I'm booked for an event and I'm the keynote speaker for a day and I wake up and I feel like I can't form sentences, then I just have to figure it out. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I really don't do the best job in communicating or expressing myself when I know I have the skill set. And it almost feels like I'm like a little cognitively impaired that day. And it happens, you know, spontaneously. I don't always know when. Um, So it's been hard to manage it, but, um, in the grand scheme of things, I'm still grateful that I deal with EDS in the way that I do because um, it could be a lot worse and I don't know what the future holds. It could um, get worse um, or it could stay the same or it could get better. I don't know. So I uh, am grateful for the, the few problems that I have right now. Definitely. And, you know, I think, first of all, thank you for sharing that uh, with everyone. Second of all, I think that something that you said two things I wanted to point out. The first thing is sometimes you kind of hit that like wall, as I like to call it, or like the rock bottom where you're starting to kind of like decline to a point where you can't function anymore. Um, And like you said, a lot of the times you're doing well. And you said also that you know, nobody's really followed you for EDS. So it hasn't really been a thought like, oh, yeah, like Mm -hmm. the way that I feel today or because I feel so bad today is a result of this EDS manifesting and bringing out something else. I found that EDS also goes really well with like bringing out other issues with POTS, mast cell. Um, Some of my (laughs) friends even have Lyme disease, you know, a lot of these kind of other comorbidities, as we talked about, are um, are linked to EDS. So, so that's really interesting. And I think that it's really, really important to not only, like, have kind of like this physical manifestation happening, but also start to take note of it, write it down, like jot something down, text a friend, you know, call a friend, call your mom, call your guardian, like whoever it is when you're struggling, call them and tell them because usually people in your life and or the notebooks, you know, staring back at you, I guess, after you write it is going to be like a diary and a documentary basically of what you've gone through and how frequently you're actually having these issues. And that can be something that, you know, let's say you're talking to your best friend about how much pain you're in lately or how, you know, you've been having a lot of cognitive issues or brain fog. They can kind of turn to you at some point and likely would as a, as a best friend and say, look, I'm really worried about you've been talking about how, you know, you've been hurting a lot more or how you have been having a really hard time thinking a lot more, you know? And I just think that that also ties into having a strong relationship with people in your life and trusting them and also not being ashamed of expressing what you need or talking about your chronic condition. So um, that's amazing uh, that you you pointed that out. The other thing that I thought was really... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that type of journaling that you're talking about and like keeping track of those things, 
that can also mm-hmm. be really helpful from a provider perspective when you do go and talk about some of the the symptoms that you are experiencing that maybe like me, you're struggling to put them in the place of like where they fall um, and understanding what mm-hmm. those triggers are. That can be, I mean, just from a personal perspective and a medical perspective, such a good suggestion. Mm-hmm. I definitely do this more so on FaceTime. Um, I have a medical journal. The question is, where is it? I, <laughs> it's somewhere around. <laughs> I just misplaced stuff, but I am so with you on the brain fog. It is a very difficult thing that I deal with, especially with like press interviews. And it's like, how do you stay on top of it when you have this like huge social media pressure on your back? Um, how have you dealt with that? <laughs> you know, I have, I just pushed mm-hmm. through it, honestly. And sometimes I watch back interviews. Like I remember when it happens. Like if I do an interview on a day or something and I'm just like, yeah, my brain wasn't working that day. I just kind of like give myself grace. And I'm like, that was not my best interview. And I just mm-hmm. move on because I don't ever want to like be in the interview situation and like let that person on to the fact that I don't think that I'm forming my sentences well that day because then maybe who knows that person might be like oh you sounded fine and to me I'm like oh I feel like I can't like really think today yeah um so I don't let anybody else on to it I just kind of roll with it and and kind of fake my way through it and try my Mm -hmm. best and just give myself the grace because there's really not really anything that I have found that can alleviate that other than like if you can move something to a different day but that's oftentimes not possible depending upon the work that you do. So like when I'm going out and being Miss America, it doesn't matter if I have an event that day, I have to do what the, whatever work it is that I am there for um, and do it to the best of my capability in that moment. And that's what I focus on is, is this the best that I could have done today in the situation that I'm in? Yeah. If it is, then that's wonderful. Um, and I can't compare myself even to like the week prior or the, or the, the, maybe if it was the next day, if I would have done better, because I'll just, you know, kill myself with criticism if I do that. So just focusing on like, Hey, how, how did you do today relative to what you were dealing with? And if the answer is pretty good, then I think that that's acceptable in my book. I love that. That's definitely a testament to what it means to live in the present and just kind of roll with yeah. the punches and um, just, you yeah, I I actually have a really a great story, which I'll probably tell on a, another episode more in depth. But um, I just walked in fashion week and uh, I oh, actually awesome. closed the show. Yeah, it was it was really a, a humbling moment. So I'm I definitely am going to go in more depth in another episode to anybody curious about that experience. But before I went on the show, I, t- I turned to the girl who was going first, like, you know how at runway shows, you know, everyone goes through and then they, they all do one final walk all together, usually um, to end the show, like all the yep. models. Um, so, you know, the, the first girl that opened the show, she's eight years old. She's this gorgeous little model. And she, Aww. you know, I turned to her, we're like dancing together. I, I turned to her and I said, look, Ruby. Are you, were you nervous? How, how did this go for you? Like, what was your experience? And she said, you know, no, I wasn't nervous at all. There were just a bunch of people out there smiling at me. So I just smiled back and I know, right. So like, this was also like, you know, a couple minutes before I was about to go and close the show. So I was like a little nervous. Um, and it was my first time walking in fashion week and being on a stage really in front of a couple hundred people at one time so it was just a great moment for me to just shift that narrative away from like oh my god what if something bad happens what if I do something that is embarrassing or like what if the camera catches me in like a bad way and just really enjoy the fact that like this little eight-year-old was so excited to just be involved and to like you know, just work it and have a good time for her. Um, Like, obviously, she was there to model, but she was really having a good time for her and herself. And that just inspired me to like, live and 
approach situations that I might be nervous about with a little more grace, as you said. So um, I think that is just so, so full circle and beautiful. Um, I have a couple more questions for you. (laughs) Um, I know you also mentioned briefly um, before. I know we kind of delved into social media a little. Um, So you have been um Camille Schreier it's Schreier right am I saying that right just want to be sure okay Camille Schreier Miss America 2020 um can you just briefly like tell us a little bit about that experience I know you mentioned being Miss America but like tell us more (laughs) um so I like I almost say this in like a loving way that it was kind of an accident um, because I never really thought I would be Miss America and I was about to age out of the program, but I always kind of in the, like somewhere in like the bottom of my head was like, maybe one day I could compete for Miss America. That would be kind of cool. I did a few pageants as a teenager, but I, you know, for a long time, I felt like the Miss America program didn't really align with who I was. I felt like it was too focused on outward beauty and not enough on, you know, the intellect of the women that competed there. Yeah. And they changed that um, like pretty publicly uh, a few years ago. And so in 2019, I was just starting pharmacy school and, you know, really admired the changes that the organization had gone through. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'd only have really one more year to ever do this if I wanted to. So like, might as well, right? Like, I'm not really going to win. <laughs> so uh, you have to compete in a local competition to even go to your state competition. So mm-hmm. not like you can just sign up. Well, at least in Virginia. It depends on the state that you're in. So in Virginia, you can't just sign up to go and compete for Miss Virginia. You have to win, like, a local city title or, like, a state nickname title to go there. So I won one of those on a whim, like, on a weekend. I, like, drove down from school and was like, let me do this. Um. And the interesting thing, the really like interesting part of the story that's really been the most publicized is I don't sing or dance. (laughs) Um, I don't twirl batons. I can't play an instrument. I don't do those things. And there's a talent competition that is pretty traditional to those, like whatever you would think of like the Miss Congeniality talents would be (laughs) like, that's kind of what you typically see. And there's no rule that you can't do anything else. And so I did a science demonstration every time that I competed and I brought chemicals. (laughs) I (laughs) literally did a reaction on stage and talked about it and narrated it. And that I think was part of what captured the attention of people as I progressed through, because to be like a very feminine STEM role model was really appealing to people instead of just like the quirky mad scientists that you would typically see. Um, And that's something that for a lot of parents and kids and educators, they were like, this is great for our kids. And so it kind of picked up traction. People on the internet thought it was like kind of perplexing and outside of like what their expectations of Miss America were, which was kind of the point, but it also was kind of just to solve a problem. Um, And so to make a very long story short, I saw, uh, or I, I started in this competition that I, you know, I really saw a Facebook ad for it like two weeks before I went, to be really honest. Um, <laughs> that was in March of 2019. And by December of 2019, I was Miss America. So within, wow. you know, a nine month period, I decided to do this, won my state title, spent six months as Miss America, or spent six months, months as Miss Virginia, and then won Miss America. Should have done that for a year. There was a pandemic. So our competition was canceled. So I am going on, I'm not full-time Miss America in 2021 because I am back in school, but technically the fact that I am still the most recent title holder, I'm going on two years in that role. Wow. uh, Plus six months as Miss Virginia. So it's been about two and a half years since the process really started. Um, I've learned a lot about myself through that time, but it was a a non-planned part of my life. It was a a spur of the moment decision. And I'd like to say, you know, it's just kind of like EDS because it's very misunderstood. People don't understand what EDS is. People don't really understand what being Miss America really looks like. And my job as Miss America more than anything was to promote my own social causes that were really important to me. So I focused on science. I focused on medication safety. And I talked a lot about EDS. 
And people were excited to hear me share my story of having EDS because it's so, again, it's, it's thought that, you know, people with EDS aren't necessarily able to do certain things like becoming Miss America um, and sharing the struggles that I had because from the flip side, everyone thinks Miss America is like a unicorn and has never struggled with anything in her life. So it, it was very informative um, in a lot of different ways, but that it's been a special part of my life. Um, And I like to say, you know, it's a stepping stone for me to get to the next place in my career. It's taught me more than I could have ever imagined or learned in the classroom. And so now it's just kind of set me up on a a great path to be able to have a really great career as a pharmacist. Yeah, I love that. And I love that also, like, you just embody kind of what it means to break a stigma around an industry that's been set up a certain way (laughs) for so long, you know, like Miss America has been set up like you said, in this very miscongeniality kind of, you know, huge hair, huge amount of makeup, you know, gorgeous dress, which I'm sure you still do. And (laughs) whoever is like out there, like totally like rock, whatever you got, like, that's what I'm all about too. Like do whatever makes you feel confident, especially when you're competing. But I think that you changing the narrative and just being like, you know what, I don't need to be a dancer or a singer, I can show off my talent and my, my smarts, um, if I wanted to in, in a fun and clever way. So that is freaking awesome. And I also think it's, it's really cool because (laughs) you also get to do all of that on social media as well. You got to share your journey there. And, um, that's also an industry where we constantly are pushing the envelope and pushing the boundary and really changing what that means, especially when we're educating older people who may not know much about the industry, um, about what that's like. So I think that's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, social media is really hard to, to manage in this day and age. And I've, I didn't know anything about social media before I even won Miss Virginia. Wow. Like, I'm pretty sure my Instagram was like, I had like 700 people that followed me and it was like pictures of my cats. Like, and for me, I think the problem that I have is I feel like a lot of, and I'm not going to lump all influencers into this category, so I don't mean to say that at all, but I feel like a lot of influencers of like our demographic, like young 20-something uh, women, oftentimes exploit their looks in a way mm-hmm. to gain likes and to gain partnerships in a way that I wasn't comfortable with. And if that's what you want to do, girlfriend, if that's you, then you do that. But that wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I was trying to figure out a way to balance the authenticity of, you know, remaining true to the fact that, you know, I felt like I could add a lot more with my experience and my skill set and my education than what I looked like, because that was a constant theme. And so managing that on social media is hard because Mm -hmm. people want to like pretty pictures Yeah, (laughs) and I want to post something meaningful. And so pretty pictures can be meaningful. And so it's balancing what I think people want to see versus what is authentic to myself. And we can fall into that trap really in a a very easy way with social media. And so that's been a challenge of mine, trying to do that in a way that's educational, authentic, but also still engaging with my audience and something that people want to see. Um, So that's been kind of cool to be able to navigate. And you do a really great job on that, on your social media too, and remaining authentic and, and true to who you are and Uh, meaningful because there's so much I feel like I want I always want there to be a message um right what I do and not just about like the external Mm -hmm. um kind of superficial piece of what social media can be sometimes whenever I create and I think everything you said is amazing I think of this kind of uh little little line people like pretty photos but people like stories even more so how can you, you know, tell yes, a story with an image or a video even? Um, I think that's the beauty of how yeah. short form video has really taken over social media in the past year and a half, two years. Um, I definitely think it was rising, especially with YouTube and Facebook ads. But in the past year with the pandemic, people just found this really quick and easy way to hook, retain and repeat that attention over and over and over again by telling a short story. Um, so 
yeah, I think, I think it's definitely possible. And also when we are also talking about the world of accessibility and disability, we also have to think about ways to make our content and our stories available to everyone. So that's something I always encourage anybody listening to do is add an image description, add the alternative text, um, add closed captioning whenever you can. So uh, I I just like to say that. So um, we do have a couple more questions for you from people in the audience. And then we're probably going to close out because I want to be respectful of your time. So um, somebody named Angela. um, And by the way, Angela, if you want to raise your hand and come up and ask a question yourself, you're more than welcome to. Otherwise, I can read it. Um, I knew you've stayed in here this whole time. Thank you very much. Um, And I saw a couple other people. So right now I open the floor up to anybody who wants to come and have a quick little question answered or um, talk to uh, Camille and I. So Angela's coming up to ask you a question, Camille. Cool. Um, hi, Gigi. Hi, Camille. Hi. Hello. Hi, I'm Angela. Um, is it? Um, well, I guess I want to make sure I say it right because I was, I was actually my boyfriend called in the middle and I was telling him about your show. Is it E B like banana S or a V or D? Like D, like dog. D. Okay. Like dog. What's that? What does it stand for again? I missed it. Ellers Danlos syndrome. Ellers Danlos syndrome. So I could look that up. Okay, that's well. The question I was going to ask, I, I wrote it out because I wasn't sure if I was going to come up or not because I didn't. I was talking to him when I wrote it. Um, what's that's the right one? There. <laughs> like, because I have PTSD, so I my I've reached my rock bottom with mm-hmm. depression and anxiety and PTSD, like in a mental sense. Yeah. And obviously you've reached it in a physical sense. Um, I guess, what is the one thing that helps you to pull through and keep going at the end of the day? For me, that's a yeah, hard I can I can take it first if you want. Um, and Angela, go ahead. Just mute while you're off. That would be great. Um, perfect. Thank you. So for me, I am an artist and I like to, again, tell stories about my experience um, outside of social media, I use a journal, I use my camera to document things. And um, that's what kind of helps me, I think, stay grounded in knowing where I'm at with what I'm going through. And if I'm able to share that with someone, that's the point where I think I realize like, okay, maybe I'm ready for help or, okay, maybe this is my rock bottom. How can I kind of push through and how can I start to find the resources that I need so for me it's I think about getting it from my mind onto something physical in our world whether that is the computer on a notes page or my iPhone notes or whether that's a notebook or using my camera that is just how I simply process it and I share that with the people that are close in my life like my family and my friends. I love that. Um, for me, I would say, Angela, I've experienced both the mental and the physical piece of mm-hmm. kind of what rock bottom is. I've gone through some really difficult uh, emotional places, um, which I don't really even think are related to EDS, but just through the struggles of my life that, um, especially my freshman year of college was really difficult. Um, I struggled with an eating disorder. I have OCD, um, and anxiety disorders. And so I've, I've dealt with those things and I know that they will continue to come through, but in the moments that I think are my rock bottom, I, um, I cope with them by trying to really think through logically what is making me anxious, what is making me upset, um, and how realistic my feelings are compared to what I am either fearful of, what I'm anticipating, or a situation that I'm perceiving to be really bad. I try to think through like, am I perceiving it the correct way? Am I getting really emotional about this? And sometimes when I let my emotions get too much of a hold on me, I just know that I'm not in the right place to process what's really going on. So I then will lean on, I don't even want to say the people around me, but I'm a big advocate for animal therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. I have many pets and I need to just like sit with my pets and not talk to any people about it but just relax and bring myself to an emotional state where I can then start to think through the issues that are making me really struggle. And sometimes once I have like a clear head and I'm like, okay, I'm more relaxed now and I can think through this problem logically, 
I'm worried about this happening, but if this doesn't happen or if this does, the outcome really isn't going to be that determinant of X, Y, or Z or something like that because I tend to get really caught up in the moment and let the emotions get the best of me. So finding ways for, for me to be able to get back on track. Um, I'm definitely, uh, I'm, I'm almost a little bit of an introvert in my, in my personal life. And so spending time, uh, in kind of quiet thought with, with my little fur buds are definitely something that I do often. <laughs> Angela, was that helpful? Well, wow, that's, that's yeah, because, um, I don't have, was it Ehlers? I don't know the D part. What is it? Ehlers Danlos syndrome. Danlos syndrome. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up, but yeah, I, well, I suffer from anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and I pretty much do the same. I, my coping mechanism is pretty much the same as what you guys have said, except I don't have any pets, but I have a pretty similar coping mechanism. I talk to people, my boyfriend, my friends, you know, so yeah, that's really, your story is really inspirational. Awesome. I enjoyed listening to it, though I missed part of it because he called me right in the middle of it. Oh, well, no worries. This is actually going to be put up as a podcast in just about a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> oh, what's, okay, cool. Y'all have yeah. to follow you then. Thank you so much, Angela. Have a lovely weekend and rest of your night. <laughs> All right, Chris, do you have a question for us? I don't know if this person is going to unmute or not or what the deal is, but it might not be. All right. Um, well, if anybody else in the audience wants to either share their story or ask uh, Camille or myself a question, now is your time. Make your move. Shoot your shot. Um, we're just going to do that. And if, if no one else does, then we'll just close out the episode. Usually I like to give them a couple of minutes because some people can be shy. Um, but Camille, you're Absolutely. so, so sweet. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So Wait, much so fun. You're, you're in on the East coast, right? I am. Where are you? Actually I'm New York based? city based. So yeah, I'm going to be okay. traveling around quite a bit though. Um, I'm just an Amtrak down oh, from you. Just a couple hours. <laughs> I'll have to come visit sometime. Um, all right, people. So since it is a little bit quiet with a with the with the engagement, which is fine. I love you all. Love you, besties. Um, I'm just gonna ask you a couple more <laughs> rapid fire questions that I ask almost all of my cool. guests. Um, are there any new projects or exciting things happening for you that everyone can watch out for? Ooh. Um, I didn't talk a lot about, I mean, the advocacy with STEM as much as I often do, but I have a really cool project in a, um, with a science center in Ohio that involves science kits for little girls, um, and little boys, um, that will be coming out later this year that will kind of emulate the whole science princess piece of what I do. Um, the STEM education has been such a cool piece of my experience through the last two years. And that's something I'm really excited about. So that's a project I'm working on outside of, uh, pharmacy school. So if you have any little kiddos or nieces or nephews or, or sons or daughters, uh, for those who are listening, it's a really cool thing that's going to be coming out later this year. That's amazing. Yes. We're definitely going to plug that in the show notes. Um, what is your favorite quote or mantra that you live by? Okay. I, okay. It's by Dolly Parton and it says, oh, figure, <laughs> find out who you are and do it on purpose. So once oh you kind God. of figure out who you are as a person, like just be unapologetically that one, that person, don't try to be like anybody else. Um, and it took me a long time and I don't want to say like, I'm that old, but it took me probably until I was like 23 or 24 to really feel like I had the answer to like, who am I at all? <laughs> and then mm-hmm. kind of gave me the opportunity to apply that. And I still feel like in, you know, a couple of years later, I feel like I have a good idea of who I am and what I want, at least for now, I'll probably feel differently in a couple of years, but knowing how to actively put that forward every day has been great. Wow. I love that. That is amazing. And I, I love Dolly. <laughs> I am I am also a huge Dolly fan. Um, so I I really love that as well. I'm like contemplating. Um, okay, cool. So um, where can people find you on social media? 
So my primary platform is Instagram and you can find me just at my first and last name. So Camille Schreier. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and newly on TikTok. Uh, So I'm doing the Mm -hmm. short videos that we were talking about. Um, And also professionally, I'm on LinkedIn and all of them are just at Camille Schreier. Um, And so the LinkedIn is just like linkedin.com slash Camille Schreier. If anyone wants to connect in a professional sense, and if not, you can follow me on all those different platforms. I think I do have a YouTube channel. Yeah, I do have a YouTube channel and I have some science videos up there. Um, but definitely Instagram is my primary platform that I am really engage with the most. I love that. This was so amazing, Camille. Thank you so much for taking time to come and speak with this audience here tonight. And it's going to reach so many people once we have the replay up on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts in the near future. Um, This was seriously one of my favorite episodes to date. You're awesome. Um, I feel like I've made a new friend out of this, which is so cool. Um, Yes. So thank you. And to anybody just getting in the room now, this is Everything You Need is Within, a podcast and live audio show where we talk about different kinds of things that can be somewhat difficult to talk about for some people, but hopefully help you on your journey to being a better self-advocate. Next week, I have an incredible mindset coach, entrepreneur, and podcast host as well coming on to the show. His name is Case Kenny. You won't want to miss it. Make sure you tune in 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And uh, with that said, peace out. Much love with Gigi. (laughs) So that's the end of the episode, Camille. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Yes. And everybody in the audience, thank you for having me. If you do have questions, yeah. Oh, no, you're legit the best. I'm going to DM you and like email you a bunch of other stuff about the assets for when I actually post it. But if anybody else has questions or anything, you can always DM the Instagram page at it's everything you need us within if you ever uh, want to give us feedback or tell us, you know, what you thought. So let us know. But Camille, have a lovely weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll be in touch with you. Bye, everyone. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. <laughs>